Wednesday show. I'm your host, Josh Mosler. This week, I got Jerome Davis. What's up, man? Hey, how's it going, Josh? How's it going? I'm good, man. We had a good 18-minute conversation before this that <laughs> may not make the air. That was really, really good content. Yeah, we were talking about um, kind of the ethical conundrum that comes around wholesaling. Um, and uh, Anyway, moral of the story is I'll try to see if I can splice it in like right here. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great. <laughs> but if not, uh, wholesaling is perfectly ethical, I think. Like, I, you drove my good points. I was on the other end of the spectrum, and I think... I think, I think, yeah, I think, you know, like you said before, it's just as long as you're not lying to people to get their houses, you're just an option. Yeah, you're just an option. I mean, yeah. And I'm not even wholesale. I've never even wholesaled. The reality is I just think you guys have a service. You have a niche in the, in the market, in the real estate market that's useful for some people. And I think as long as you're honest and forthright with what you're doing, you're not being blatantly dishonest. Um, nothing's wrong with that. Yeah, I agree. I, I agree. You, you, you got me open mind a little bit. I'm going to be thinking on that for a couple of days. Keep, let me know. <laughs> let me know how it goes. Um, anyway, so common question, first common question. Yeah. Um, your trajectory, 18 and now. I know you yeah. had said before the show that you kind of grew up here, so if you want to get into that a little bit too, mm-hmm. and how that's helped yeah, the hard. trajectory. I have a kind of a long – so the funny thing is like I listen to podcasts sometimes, and like it's super annoying because these people just kind of like meander and talk about like these small details, and they make a small portion of their life like a 45 minute blurb and it's like <laughs> you really only talked about like a week of your life and you talked about it for like a half and a half an hour so I'll, i'm kind of short-winded to be honest with you so i'll try and be as as verbose as i can hopefully that's helpful but yeah so i was actually born and raised here in savannah uh had no uh background in real estate business development whatsoever uh, my dad was in business he's in construction uh, but we never like invest in rental properties or any that kind of stuff at all um, just to be kind of like, just kind of the, the best t- way to talk about trajectory was post-college. So like I went to uh, Georgia Southern, um, graduated about like six years ago. And my entry, if you went on my four-way, my foray into real estate, it was, uh, uh, a trampoline park. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, a buddy of mine, a really good buddy of mine, uh, he was having a birthday, uh, like my senior year in college. And we were basically trying to find a place to go. And we ended up like Googling this paintball place in Statesboro to go play paintball. And we never heard of it, but we ended up like driving over there and finding out it's this huge abandoned warehouse that was like 50,000 square foot warehouse that this developer had turned into like an indoor paintball arena. What? Super cool. Yeah. That's super cool. It is very cool. And uh, I remember like driving up to it, but it's like in this abandoned industrial district in Statesboro. So we drive up to it and go, man, what the heck is this? So we go inside. It's kind of mom and pop. He's got like a, a rickety front desk and like one manager there and like some young guys that are doing like ref- paintball refereeing. So we go, and he's got he's turning the whole entire thing into this indoor paintball arena. It's got AstroTurf for the floors. He's got netting and, like, abandoned houses, abandoned buses. It was really cool. What? So, anyway, uh, we go play paintball, have the time of our lives, and then all of a sudden, like, the first entrepreneurial juices that I ever had started flowing in my mind <laughs> where I was like, man, this place is, like, in the middle of nowhere. Nobody at GSU knows about this place. Nobody at Southern knows about this place. And uh, it's got it's like a dime in the rough, but it just needs some polishing. And... I had like I had no you know had a lot of free time that year and I was like you know what let me just like try something here so I, I ended up like asking the manager to give me the owner's number and I was like hey man can you just give me the owner's number I'd love to talk to him about like a business opportunity and in my mind I was like you know what if I got some some friends of mine to come here and like clean it up and referee and we start marketing and put stuff on Facebook and Instagram we can probably get people to fill this place up so I made a deal with him I was like hey man if you allow me to get thirty percent of everything that comes in the door I will I will run I'll maintain own and operate this place or run and operate this place for you for thirty percent of all your all your receipts and the guy was like deal no problem so I get on Facebook this is like two thousand fourteen 
I get on Facebook and make a make a page and like get some people to make some cool, you know, artwork and like flyers and stuff like that. Pass them right around campus. Get some frat guys, some sorority girls, and uh, we throw a couple like huge like you know get-togethers at the paintball place, and it was huge. People loved it. You know, shooting your friends in the face is like the most fun thing you do. You know, <laughs> so uh, people loved it and they made a lot of money. And that was my first foray into entrepreneurship, where I was like, man, this is really cool. Like I just made a, a lot of money. Made a lot of money just by like calling some people and inviting something and improving something that was that needed improving so that that went on and uh i ended up saying you know what like my, my same buddy who who we, you know we went to the paintball place with was like dude this the other half of this abandoned warehouse was a flea market so imagine a fifty thousand square foot warehouse one half is uh an indoor paintball facility the other half is a totally decrepit like flea market and did the owner own the whole thing he owned the entire thing and at the end of the story the real estate story was he bought that he bought it like in 06 or 07 trying to like flip it and then he got screwed in 08 and he ended up being forced to keep it the bank wouldn't foreclose on him so he, he started doing a bunch of little gimmicks to kind of get rental income coming in but he was like seven years old so he couldn't execute very well if that makes sense so he made the indoor paintball place to kind of have some revenue to pay his to pay his note and then the, then the uh the flea market had like a bunch of stalls, so people paid like a stall rent every week for like. The, but it was a crappy, terrible flea market. So my buddy was like, "Dude, you know it would be awesome." At this point, we're making a good bit of money, quote unquote, a good bit of money, like doing the paintball thing. He's like, "You know it would be awesome if we build a trampoline park in this in the side." And I was like, "That's the dumbest thing I ever heard. Like a trampoline <laughs> park. That's they we're, we're adults. This is a college town." He goes, "No, man. I, this place is called Sky Zone. It's in Atlanta. You jump around water wall trampolines. It's the coolest concept ever." And I was like, "That's the dumbest thing I ever heard." So lo and behold, we go to Atlanta and try it out anyway, and I had like the most fun I ever had. So this is before Sky Zone kind of blew up down here, yeah, and before we had like Get Air and all this sort of stuff. So I was like, this is actually a really cool concept. So then I said, you know what? Let's let's actually try and raise some money and like build the first trampoline park in Statesboro, <laughs> and we did. Uh, it cost about it's like a million and a half bucks in like two years, and basically everything that could go wrong did go wrong. And like, how did you raise that initial uh, hard? Just- asking like, <laughs> well, was it like people you knew or were you just cold calling strangers from the community fam- family friends uh associates business partners so i kind of did the proof of concept with like um the paintball place the paintball place is making really good money i mean i think it's 30 bucks for an hour of paintball and we get like 150 people on a weekend and it costs nothing but the you know the the uh, pellets themselves and so that, you have like a little bit of credibility there a little bit of credibility a little bit of credibility and people loved the concept and there was very limited entertainment concepts outside of bars in statesboro so it wasn't that hard of a sell it was like oh hey this thing's called sky zone here's how much money they make we got the uh franchise disclosures for sky zone and how much money they generate like per jumper and i made a business plan and was like hey this is what it can do and mind you, this is out of the blue. The more I think about it, I was like, I have no idea why I did this. <laughs> I just, so I just, I just go off on tangents and start doing random things just because, just see if I can do it. I don't know why. <laughs> but anyway, so we did that and uh, raised some money. Didn't raise enough. So the first, we raised like half a million bucks. And that wasn't enough to cover the construction. So we ended up like needing money in the middle of it and like having to get a loan from the bank. And luckily, the landlord was pretty generous and used his 10 improvement dollars like for us. So, so the TI money that we were going to use, the money that we we're going to use to invest ourselves, he let us, he gave us a TI allowance and we put that money in the equipment. So that basically got us over the hump to be able to actually open it. Dang. Super cool, yeah. Um, so yeah, anyway, we did that indoor trampoline park. It was really awesome. Um, then kind of had, kind of had to follow up with some business partners while we were gone. So my wife and I, uh, 
our really big uh, admissions, and we were gone. We were in China like that summer, like while we were, you know, while we were out. And my partner was kind of running things while I was gone, and he was kind of unscrupulous, to be honest. <laughs> and uh, some things happened that kind of shouldn't stay on air. Yeah, I got so, you. Yeah, yeah. some things unscrupulous <laughs> thing happens, and we end up saying, you know what, screw this, we're gonna sell it. So we, I ended up selling my portion and my share, and my wife and I moved back down here to Savannah uh, in August of 2017. So that was the beginning of my real estate, uh, yeah, I guess, foray, because you know I realized that, like, all right, well, this is, kind of a, this is kind of a waste. I'm upset about what happened. Can't trust anybody. Business sucks. And by the way, my major was biochemistry. So I went to school for chemistry, the major with concentration in biochemistry. So I want to go to medical school. And a lot of the uh, the doctors and my buddies that I knew were like in crazy amounts of debt. Like they drive their Mercedes, they drive the Bentley, they drive the Audi, they have the house in the landings and the second pool house in Tybee, but they're like swimming in debt. Right. So, so these guys and gals, you know, they they make thirty thousand dollars a month and need forty to live. So <laughs> yeah. Their credit card is just crazy, and I'm like, I don't want that lifestyle. So when we got back here, I was like, you know what? I want to go to medical school. So let me just. Uh, spend some time, study for the MCAT again, and, like, let me try and, like, you know, use the skills that I learned from developing the trampoline part and maybe have one or two rental properties so that I can be able to, like, have some income coming in to where when I go to medical school, we'll be able to, like, pay for the majority of it or pay for a good portion of it. So I'm not having these – I'm not drowning in student debt when I graduate. That was kind of the goal. Um, so, yeah, so probably that – I kind of thought – I sat on that plan for about six or seven months, and then in 2018, I went into my first rental. And what are you doing in the meantime? So there's, yeah. there's like seven months there. There is. So what are you doing while you're thinking? I went to, I worked at uh, East Georgia Regional, East Georgia Regional Hospital? No, that's not East Georgia Regional. It's in South Carolina. Good gracious. Booth Memorial Hospital. Okay. Yeah. So, so to prepare for medical school, like you need a certain amount of hours of experience, like in whatever field you're looking to go to. So like I'm huge into like high acuity, high stress situation. So I went to the ER and be, I was a scribe. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, You're like, let's go zero to hundred in medical. Zero to hundred. Yeah. <laughs> so I was a scribe at Beaufort Memorial for like, not for like nine or 10 months. Well, a scribe is basically uh, the person who goes in and basically follows a doctor around and basically takes all the notes when they okay. have patient interaction. So it's, it's made for like pre-med students, pre-PA students to come in and get to experience with a doc's experience and get to like practice charting and like see what happens day to day. It's a pretty cool interactive thing. Most people just kind of get like the, they'll shadow a doctor for a day or two or whatever. The scribe is like you immerse yourself. Like you're there two in the morning with them working. So it's really cool. Dang. Yeah. So you're working crazy hours. Crazy hours. Yeah. I was working crazy hours, like 12 hour shifts, 10 hour shifts. You know, it would be like a lot of them would be six to six, seven to seven, stuff like that. Six a.m. or six p.m. to seven a.m. Gunshot wounds, you know, uh, vehicular accidents, everything. The whole works, super cool, and uh, I enjoyed the heck out of it. But anyway, a lot of the docs that I met there were like trying to get into real estate. They were like, man, they were like, man, this sucks because they're all disillusioned. A lot of these people are like, you know, they they go straight from high school to college to medical school. Never had a job doing anything else. Never tried anything else. And they had this they had this idealized vision vision of what it looks like to be a physician. And then when they get there, and they see bureaucracy and patients are lying and drug seeking, they're just like they get dissolution really easily and they try to get out of it. When in reality, it's a really noble profession. It's fantastic, but they just have no experience outside of that. So it's always like the grass is green on the other side, right? So, right. so they're always looking to do something else. So most of those docs were just. I saw them. They were like, well, a lot of them dissolution. Some of them are fantastic, fantastic doctors, but they all want to get real estate anyway. So by this point, 
I did I did about a thousand or eleven hundred hours at East Georgia. Uh, East Georgia, gosh, that's why I did that was in high school. <laughs> I, at uh, from Memorial, yeah, it had a, a thousand hours and it was it was fantastic. Loved it, and that was for medical school. So I got the docs to sign off on like, hey, here's how long he was here, here's his performance, and that's something that you add to your medical school packet, like to pad your resume, if that makes sense. So in doing that, that's probably that's like September seventeen to like June seventeen. Okay, so somewhere around January or February, I get my first rental property or my first flip. Uh, it was on Millen Street in Savannah, like West Savannah. Bought it for like $28,000. How'd you find it? Uh, MLS. Okay. MLS. MLS, it was a part of a package deal. So it was a house on Millen Street and it was a house on use. Cast on a package. Distressed seller, but still hit the MLS. <laughs> Wasn't swindled by you crazy, terrible wholesalers. <laughs> uh, yeah. Just kidding. Um, but anyway, yeah. So it, it was like, so it was like 60 grand for two houses. So I bought both of them. And uh, then decided try to call. It had no idea what I was doing, but I had, I had a lot of preparation on the commercial side in Statesboro, so I dealt with like large general contractors and like contracts and dealing with these guys. But the residential side was kind of way different. But it was easier, but it was hard to find like quality people. So I bought those two houses and I spent like five months in the rehab. It was crazy because it just took for. I mean, it was very it's very basic full gut, but it was still just like I had no idea who to call. I was, people were stealing money. They weren't coming on time. They were you know, taking the material budgets and like, you know, buying other crap with them. I'm chasing them down. We're arguing like it got crazy. I'm in a U-Haul at Home Depot circling around, forgetting this going, you know, it was, it was kind of crazy. Yeah. But I ended up selling both of them. And I think I made like $20,000 on the sale, but I spent like five months of time, <laughs> but I was like, this is it. <laughs> Twenty grand in seven months. Quit the rat race. It's like, dude, you made two thousand dollars a month doing this. Were you like juggling your full time job while you're doing those, or did you quit when you bought those? I was doing both. Yeah, I okay. was doing both. So I was I was doing ten hour shifts. But the cool thing about the ER is that you don't work every day. It's because you're doing tens and twelves. It's like two or three days. So as a scribe, I was doing like two three days doing tens and twelves, and then I would do the other days would be real estate. Okay. So I come in and I I work in the ER. I say Monday six to six. And then Tuesday, I'm off, and I did real estate then. So, so yeah, good. Um, so you buy those first two houses, you sell them, you make 20k. So then at that point, I mean, where's your mindset at? So you said you're like living the high life, like I got 20 grand. (laughs) I'm like, let's do it again, but let's go, let's go faster. I mean, like the way your brain was working, where I mean, you had to have known, like, because just from talking to you for these few minutes, like I can tell you're pretty numbers oriented. Yeah, say, right. So definitely. like you got to be thinking in your head exactly what you said now, which is two grand a month. Yeah, like, not that's the, not sustainable. That's not sustainable. Yeah. So my goal was like, let's try it again. Let's do better. So I'm kind of systems based and numbers based, and all. But so it's, my thing is like, okay, how do I improve this next time? So for me, I'm still experimenting with it. Sorry, uh, sorry. I'm still I'm still experimenting. With this. So I go, you know, maybe I can do this faster. Maybe I can find better subcontractors. Maybe I can find a higher margin property. So I just did it again. And the short version is it worked. So that twenty thousand became like sixty five, and it's like, oh wow, this is really nice. In the same amount of time, or did you were you able to shorten the time? Short, no, shorter time, in more more margin. Oh my god. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so then you're really hooked. You're like, oh, this is really good. And now I'm like, okay, well, let me do a couple ways, and I'll, I'll let me find some rental properties that I can own long term that I can pay for it in cash. So there's a guy I don't know if you know. His name's Coach Carson. That was one of the first forays in real estate that I ever got into. He's like an investor in like Greenville, South Carolina, and his thing is like he does he does three deals at one time, sells two, and keeps one. So all, okay. all the proceeds that he makes in the two sales, he pay, basically pays off one or pays it as low as possible. So I kind of dot with that in the beginning. I didn't want to have this sprawling empire of ninety five percent rent owned properties. I wanted to have like <laughs> you know four or five solid all cash owned properties as opposed to trying to burr the heck out of everything all the time. 
Which is not my anti-burr, so don't right, think I'm yeah. anti-burr. Uh, <laughs> anti-burr, yeah. anti-wholesale, yeah. like the list is building, man. <laughs> man. Uh, so anyway, yeah, so I did that. And I started like making some money on flips. And I was like, man, this is really cool. Um, and I just figured out, okay, how do I scale this? You know, so I started, I kind of created my own systems on Excel. Like, so I, I looked at all the bigger podcast calculators and systems. And I was like, this doesn't work for me. I don't get the way this works. It's somebody else created it. I don't really get the inner machinations of this system. So I need to make my own. So I kind of created my own rehab system and my own my de- my own de-analyzing system. And where what resource were you pulling from to like build that out? Yeah, just no, literally scratch. It sounds like I'm making it up, like just from scratch. So what I do is I look at the bigger pockets calculator and go, okay, this is cool and that's cool, but where's this and this and this, right? And or how do these numbers work together? So for me, I just had to literally trial and error build. Now maybe I can email you. I, I had to just build my own calculators for me to make this work is same thing for uh and you were just pulling those numbers from thin air like uh, we're just well my we'll uh rehab numbers we mean in terms of yeah like how are you knowing like how much things would cost in the, on average in this market J- you were just basing off the two first ones that you did oh absolutely yeah per okay. square foot and then I, just... I would be wrong <laughs> yeah, yeah. and that's why so my big thing is like collecting the data so i'll be like oh, i totally misunderstood this i thought i just went on google and said oh that's 25 dollars a square foot so it must be 25 dollars a square foot in all instances in reality it's not it's totally different so yeah dead wrong so i constantly updated it uh and like got better and better so this is all occurring like 2018 okay so i think 2018 i think i did like nine or ten deals total like nine or whoa ten. So yeah. that's like yeah that's like it's, it's, it's funny it's, it's not even a lot for me it's, it's, what's so funny is talking to other people like so i stayed i stayed kind of like low-key uh i didn't really tell people what i was doing just because I didn't want like the attention and I didn't want to be these people you see that are online that are constantly bragging about what they're doing or like trying to bring attention to themselves. Also, just because this was also a means to an end. So like I never considered this like a profession or something that I was going to be doing the rest of my life. So, but I mean, two to nine in one year. Is, yeah, it's pretty good. That's yeah. a lot. I, I guess mean, it is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you had to have been crazy busy because we're. So once you made that sixty five, is that when you quit your job, or what, at what point did yeah. you quit your job? Oh, I didn't even need to have the job. So it was really, it was really just about the experience. So like, I didn't, I, I stopped East, East George. I stopped uh, Buford Moore on like June two thousand eighteen. Okay. So that was like nine months in, ten months in, and I stopped working. So I, I decided to go full time real estate summer eighteen. And just killed it. And yeah, I did well, I guess. I, I, I hate, I hate the self promotion <laughs> saying, yeah, I killed it. I'm really good. Look at me. Be like me. No, but no. So yeah, we did about like nine or 10 deals in 2018. And that's from like March to December. And after that, I took all that data that I had. Like I literally, I literally mapped out like, how long did it take? How good was this subcontractor? How bad was that one? What kind of material work, what did this work? You know, how much did I spend? What can I do better? And like, let me just redo it more and more and more and more. Right. What system are you using to keep track of all that? Oh, Flipper Force. That's a killer app. I don't know, people don't really use that. It's Flipper called, Force? Yeah, it's a sick app. It, it basically has it. I got that after about it. it I didn't get to Flipper Force until uh, last year, but I've okay. basically been doing exact. I spent hours and hours and hours and hours doing what that <laughs> app does like for free. And I'm like, oh, crap. <laughs> so, uh, But the cool thing is I think the actual skill is in doing it yourself. So the reality is, is like, and this, you're talking about Max Maxwell. Like before they had prop stream and all this other stuff, people had to go out and actually like learn how to calculate ARV. Everybody wants a machine or a robot to do that, but that's you're not going to learn the actual inner workings of what you're doing. So you don't really get how this makes sense. And that's a gap that you see with lots of wholesalers when you look at their ARV and you look at their rehab costs. And you're like, dude, you're, t- you're totally wrong. Like you're, you're completely way off. So for me, it was like getting in there and having some BS per square foot price that's totally wrong and then like messing it up and then learning it. Like now I know it. Right. Like you can't, I, I can tell you my square foot price and it means nothing to you because you don't know how to create that. You don't know how to execute that. 
I think it creates like instincts inside of you, right? Where you can just walk into a house and you don't necessarily need to fill out your spreadsheet. Like you are, I know you can know pretty quick. Yeah, exactly how much is a ballpark. Yeah, or very. Now I know. So it's funny that the rate that I've grown. So like 2018 was like 10 deals. Uh, 19 was like 24, and 20 was like 37. <laughs> so it's like yeah. So now I know I can I literally walk in anywhere and I know within 20 minutes what's going to cost. And I'm going to be within like three or four thousand dollars. Most of the stuff I do is like um it's like it's kind of like high risk right so i find the house is about to fall over that needs to be demolished so now we're doing is a lot of urban infill we're basically tearing down homes a lot of stuff in live oak most of the stuff that was being torn out live oak is me and we'll go and rip the house down build a spec house in, in its place or we'll find a house that needs to be basically completely redone not, not just gutted but like major structural work i'm essentially buying land and redoing it and once you do that so many times the information that you gain from that is super valuable if you know how to like mine it and, and, and apply it so to like fund how these houses are built. So yeah. I'm guessing the first house you funded by using the proceeds from what you sold out. Correct. In states were okay. Mm-hmm. So then you use that 20 grand. That's what did the next one. But, and I get that for so far, but so like far. at some how point do, do you're jump? doing so many. Yeah. How do yeah. I jump? Yeah. Uh, investment banks like Lima one capital lending one capital. I go in and get a line of credit. And I think the first line of credit that I got was like 500,000. The first, the first one, yeah, but it's not that much. I mean, it's just it's, that's a it's, lot. What are you talking is. about? That's not that much. I guess it's not. It's like, weird. Yeah, when you hit a certain level, obviously, I understand. Like you look back at like five hundred k. It's not that much. Nah, yeah. Really, that's like one and a half. But like, houses you gotta think from somebody just starting out. <laughs> okay, like, I gotta remember gonna the audience crazy. Too. Yeah, yeah, that's so. what I mean. Yeah, the audience. Yeah. <laughs> oh my bad. I'm just like talking to you. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, five hundred thousand. But in reality, it's like two houses. But yeah, so I think um, <laughs> like two flips. Yeah, two flips. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So uh, what was I about to say? Anyway, yeah. So I I did. I had cash. But not a ton. I didn't have like millions of dollars. I had like some cash that I had that I was willing to invest. Um, and then like I bought those houses in cash. And then I started working with investment banks, right? Like these real estate focused investment banks that are lending. You know, you put 10% down. So if you want to look at the numbers, if I'm doing a house, let's say on the south side, that's uh, $150,000 all in, you're putting twenty grand down, $25,000 down with, with your reserve requirement. It's not a huge amount of money to, to do a deal. You're only in, you're all in 15, 18% on a deal. That's not that. It's really very, very doable, very well doable. So started doing Lima one and I got the line of credit. And then once you like do well with the line of credit, it looks in your line. So it went out from a half a million to a million right. and it, it gets bigger from there. And after that point, though, what was killing me is time. So the most viable resources after like 2019, it became the time that we were spending. So like, I didn't really care so much on how much we were making. It was really about because a lot of these houses were they're going to be long term rentals that we have. So like, I didn't really care about uh, the amount of money that we're spending. It's really about how much time we're taking. Like the interest that you're paying and the opportunity cost that you miss being in a deal to me became way greater than actually the money that I was saving on that interest. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. so but, so a lot of people were like, so I was talking to my buddy about this the other day. He's some, he'll argue with a bank for like three straight weeks for like 10 basis points. So he's like, you know, he wants to get 3.7199% yeah. and 3.899%, no deal. And it's like, in that three months that you spent arguing with this bank over those 10 basis points, there's two deals that you missed out on. <laughs> right, right, yeah. And unless you're holding this rental for the next 10 years, you're not even going to be able to appreciate that money that you're actually earning messing around with this. Well, a lot of times, too, those applications are ridiculous Crazy. for a flip. Like, <laughs> yeah. you are spending hours, literally. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and then they come back, and then you have to, like you just said, it might take two, three months, right? Yeah. You can't move quick. You, you can't, can't. No. Yeah. So I, I did a little bit yeah, a little bit of hard money and then a little bit of these these real estate investment banks. And that, after we started kind of blowing up, doing more and more volume, I then raised private money. And how I did that was just friends and family. People started seeing, holy crap, like, 
<laughs> like, like you're making money. You're making money. Let me like all of a sudden the uncle who's super broke, like, oh, actually I'm not super broke. Actually I have like seventy K in a yeah. an account sitting around making nothing. Like, do you want that? It's like, okay, yeah, sure. And so you just like raise the fund. Raise the fund. And then so I, and so for those that don't know, exactly how does the fund structure work? Yeah, it's a uh, typical fund structure. Yeah. You don't have to get too like. I, well, yeah. Video. So I have a business partner, a really good friend of mine, um, David, who uh, is where we both uh, run the fund together. And uh, we got together. This is about a year and a half ago. We said, listen, you know what? Like dealing with these banks is becoming cumbersome because the draw process was really difficult. It wasn't super difficult, but let's say we we're let's say we we're doing three projects at one time, right? And then like with the projects, they're general, they're not below six figures. So like all the stuff that we do is. $150,000, rehabs, like very large rehabs. So if you have a draw request for $25,000 on three houses, you're out seventy five grand waiting for the bank to reimburse you. And that's that's a significant amount of money where you're like, man, I, I can't even move forward until I get this money back. So the point of the fund was really to help us be a little more fluid and to be able to go faster, if that makes sense. Yeah. So Dave and I kind of put our heads together and said, you know, let's figure out ways to raise some funds so that we can have all this money in-house and be able to move way faster. So we can buy deals faster, we can do rehabs faster, we can cash out faster. It's just way easier, less red tape, less less issues. And how how much credibility did you have at this point? Like how yeah. many houses have you done? Uh, this was uh, probably 50, somewhere around okay. there. Yeah, okay. so after, I've done a significant amount. So it was a significant amount. Significant it wasn't like you're just starting out at 10 No, this was, this was like, this was last, this was maybe 2019, like summer 19. Okay. No, maybe summer, maybe fall 19. Yeah, fall 19. So it's been about a year and a half. I did about 50 houses. Okay. Um, so at that point, like it, it went hard to raise money and we didn't want to raise it from a hundred people. It was a very select number of family and friends that we raised this fund with. And it was just way easier. We kind of showed them, Hey, here's what we're doing. And the cool thing about real estate is everybody, you can't really talk. You can't lie. So like, right. You can't make it up. It's like, Hey, here's the HUD. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like there's the deed. This is what I just did. Here's the house that look on Google earth three weeks ago. It's not, <laughs> this is a totally different thing yeah, now. Like, right? That was me. Yeah. Here's me doing it. So that's, what's really cool was like the real thing about real estate is an equalizer. We're like, doesn't matter who you are, your family, where you grew up. It's like you can't you can't fake your skill. <laughs> like, right. I mean, like either you see the house that we rehabbed or you did it. Like, look in the MLS, pull the records. It's there. So it's not. It wasn't that difficult to raise money. I think a lot of people go backwards. Like these gurus, you know, they start from whole. They go to wholesale and they they listen to your conference and go, "I never done a deal." Now let me do apartment syndication. Right. <laughs> it's like, no, you shouldn't do that. You don't know how to. You don't do that. <laughs> It takes leveling up. You got to like level up. Something in, I, I hear actually, it's on Joe Rogan all the time. We yeah. were talking about Joe Rogan a little bit at the beginning of it. Yeah. But there's something in the struggle that makes you better. Absolutely. Like you have to get, you have to, there's no shortcutting that. Dude, preach. That is my number <laughs> one thing. And, and people call me and ask me, it's like, the key is I love reps. That's what I love. I don't, I'm not looking for outcomes. I don't believe you can control outcomes. I like the reps. The reps is what gets you there. You're so, like the Gary V of, yeah, like, yeah, I love yeah. the process. The process. That's really <laughs> it. I'm a, I'm a Nick Saban fanatic. So okay. like, yeah, it's like, I believe the process is what actually the gold is. It's not, it's not some course I sold you for $20,000. I can, I can give you, I'm, I'm the, the big saying that I use all the time. It's not the wand. It's the wizard. You ever heard that? So it's like, no, but yeah, it, it doesn't matter. <laughs> like it's, I like that one. Yeah. It's really about like, the reason I'm able to do well, I'm willing to put the work in and I'm willing to learn and take the lumps. Everybody wants to skip the lumps and that's actually where all the growth is. So they want to skip from like, hey, I'll watch a seminar. Now I'm a multifamily apartments indicator. It's like, no, you, you need to be like screwed over by four or five contractors. You need an agent to totally blow you off. You need to experience all these things so you can understand all the pieces it takes to get here. That's actually the skill. So if the market goes up, the market goes down, you actually have the skill set. You're not just some like flunky who took a 
bigger pockets calculator and trying to burn a deal. That's not the same. That's that's why I'm able to do this this quickly. Yeah, because I would. It does seem like most people that go through the lumps, it takes a long time. I mean, three yeah. years is pretty. That's pretty fast. It is very fast. And what do you think? Attribute like what accounts for that? Is it just because you keep track of your numbers? Is it just yeah, luck, it's, timing? It's I think it's a mixture, man. I'm not one of these people who are like, man, I, I don't believe in the term self-made. I don't think that's that's a real thing. Uh, I I think uh, that's kind of controversial. Maybe I don't. Uh, everybody gets help. Like the reality is, like even even though I do a lot of this stuff myself and I can attribute to my skill, everybody has opportunity that it came that they didn't create. I I, I can't. You, you'd be hard pressed to tell me of somebody who didn't create an opportunity that came. Maybe you took advantage of the opportunity. But like you didn't create out of nothing, it, it came. So I don't believe in like fully being self-made. But anyway, uh, the reason I'd be able to go so fast is just <clears throat> I think I naturally pick up on things really quickly. So because I pick up on things really quickly, and I'm not risk averse at all. So if it's like, hey, let's go over there and like buy this building that's gonna fall over tomorrow, I'm like, okay, we can figure out a way to make it work. That's just my natural thing. Right. But I think I have a good combination of like not only being risk averse, but being practical. So the guy who's the super dreamer, like actually can't make it happen and like has no idea what it takes to get there. I luckily kind of have both. So I can like take the crazy risk, but I can actually see A to Z what it takes to make that work. So it's kind of, it's a cool, like weird niche that I fit into, I guess. And have you ever like lost money doing that? Never, never lost money never. in real estate ever. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? That's a lump you got to take, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. So that, that's the thing. So I'm not the guy who goes, here's some pie in the sky, crazy investment. Like, oh, I know how I can make money on this. Yeah. Here's my plan A, B, C, and D, and I'll do it. So if you don't see like a clear cut A to Z, then it's I don't do it. No, I no don't do question. It. So I haven't lost money because of that, which is nice. The dreamer never takes over. No, no, <laughs> it's not worth it. You know, there are some things that I'll do um, that I'll make that I'll put some money into that I'll let it see grow. So like, it also depends on how you're measuring your uh, your returns, right? So like, if you're measuring my profit over like a two week period, maybe I lost a hundred grand. You measure it over a year period, maybe I made a hundred grand, right? So it just depends on how you're analyzing that and what your what's your outlook on the investment is. So for a perfect example, uh, my partner and I, we started a pizza place. Uh, we bought one. There's a Philly pizza place on Waters Avenue that we bought. It was like, I think it was called like Stoner's Pizza or something like that. And we bought it right before the pandemic. Best time to oh, buy it. Yeah. <laughs> so we bought a pizza place and then a worldwide global pandemic took over. <laughs> and I was like, oh, good investment. Yeah. So look, looking at it over that last year, it was like you lost a lot of money. But now that the economy's now the economy's kind of coming back, our, our revenue is going up and up and up and up. I mean, real estate and restaurants really can't be, right? Because yeah. on real estate, like you don't have to lose money, but in a restaurant, it might take three years before you're profitable. It you does. Know what I mean? It does. Like, totally. Real estate's deal by deal. Whereas a restaurant, like you just need to give it like three year chunks or whatever, two year chunks. Like That's how it goes. Yeah. And same thing. So the cool thing I, I did this, the pitch on this one was like, I kind of wanted to use this restaurant to mess everything up. So we have another one that we're doing <laughs> yeah, <laughs> on, uh, on Habersham or whatever, uh, right across from Cotton Rye. And, uh, we're gonna have another pizza place over there. This is actually, this one's just me. My partner, I think he's lost his stomach for, for uh, restaurants. <laughs> he's like waiting for another pandemic. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm not doing another one with you. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so I'm doing another one on, on Habersham using all the information that I learned from this one. I'm going to repeat it over here. It's the same thing I did in real estate. All the lumps that we took, what went wrong, what vendors are good, what products are bad, what customers want to hear, and then do it again and then again. Let me ask you this then. So we're, you, you were mentioning um, the guy from Greenville, his strategy of like two and one. So were you implementing that then through this entire the process? The entire time, correct. So you've been buying. That's a lot. You've been buying a lot. Yeah, I own a, I own a good bit of units. But again, I think 
the people that I meet and see now, like to me, a good bit is like, so it's all about where who you're talking to. Yeah, next level. Yeah, next and level. actually, I had uh, Charles Sells on. I don't know if you heard that episode. Yeah, I have. Yeah, I haven't yeah. heard the episode. No. So we were talking about. He was like, yeah, in the beginning, you know, like you spent a hundred thousand dollars, you're like cringing. Yeah. But he like he said like just last summer we just did like a on auction.com we bought three million dollar piece of property on the beach and you're like <laughs> the first time you do it, it's scary but then you start doing them all the time you don't even realize like that, that's it's what, nothing. That's what's so crazy. I don't want to like talk dollars because I think if people there might be some crazies listening but it's like <laughs> that's exactly it. So I remember being like because I think the rehab budget for the first uh, flip I ever did it was like twenty eight thousand thirty thousand dollars something like that. So I was all in like sixty grand and I, it was it was cash money and I was like. This is like freaking. Uh, what am I gonna do? <laughs> Checking the bank account. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, what's going on? Am I gonna be able to buy this? And uh, literally, like, we spend that like not even in a, less than a week. Right. <laughs> so I'm yeah, like, it sounds like, like a lot. Yeah, people, yeah but yeah, I mean, it's not. Yeah, it's not. So you just got you get used to scaling up, and like you develop a stomach for it. You just start realizing that the returns are solid if you if you're doing the right things. So if you went on my strategy, or the listeners want to know the strategy, what I basically did was I tried a little bit of everything to figure out what I enjoyed. So I did flips, and I actually hate them. Like, I didn't like flips. So, by the way, when I say I did 25 deals, maybe three to four of those are flips. There are 21 are rentals. But doing the strategy, what I do is I find other investors, and I'd sell them chunks of rental properties, right? So, the better that I got at uh, rehabbing these houses, the more that I would do. So, I would go, okay, I'm really good at doing two, but how do I do four at one time? I'm really good at doing four at one time. How do I do seven at one time? Like, so I've constantly scaled up. So in doing, let's say seven at one time, I might go, you know what? I'm going to call Josh and I'm going to sell Josh two of my rentals for $25,000 below market. And then when I finish, I can get all that cash back and pay off my one or two that I'm going to keep. Does that make sense? No, so you're let, losing me now. Yeah, no worries. Let's you're try, losing me on that let's, one. Let's throw, some on numbers, that let's throw some numbers out here. Okay. Let's say that I'm doing the houses for $100,000 a piece. Yep. Right. Flipping flip, houses. Uh, or, or just, I just do rehab. So I don't even call it flipping. So what okay. I do is I just build equity. So here's what, here's why I call it. So let's say it's, let's like right now, here's a perfect example of what I'm doing right now. Right now I have like 11 or 12 products that are going on right now yep. at various stages of development. And let's say I'll probably buy 10 of, I'll do 10, pro, 10 projects in one quarter, like in a three month period. Yeah. Okay. Of those 10 projects, let's say they're all $100,000 a piece. So that's a million dollars that I'm deploying right now all in to fi fix a house. The actual equity that I gain, most of my deals are about 60%. So that, that means they're all 1.6 to 1.7 million for all of them if I sold them all or flipped them all. Does that make sense? Yep. For me, instead, I don't flip them all. I probably will flip two of those houses. They will be sold in the market for the full appreciation. Three to four of them I will sell off to private investors that won't ever hit the MLS for, for a little bit below market rate, but I'll be able to get, pull that cash out and pay off two or three of them in cash. Why wouldn't you just list them all in the MLS? It's or you know, not all of them, but like let's say you're gonna let's say you're thinking, yeah. I'm gonna keep thirty percent back from my portfolio. Totally. Why take that market cut? Why not just sell speed? All? Just speed. <laughs> yeah, it's it's speed, and and it's also I build relationships with other investors as well. So when I sell you a house that's worth a hundred thousand dollars for eighty five, you're gonna come back to me again. Yeah, guaranteed. So why why would you why would I list on the MLS? Maybe I could maybe I could spend six weeks to get a hundred thousand. But if I can sell it to you, knowing that if I have a contract with you before it's even done, knowing that you're gonna buy it for eighty eight thousand dollars, I'll sell it to you. That's different than a lot of people. A lot of people want to they want to squeeze every single dollar because they're maybe doing three or four deals a year. I do so many. The actual velocity of my capital matters way more than me than just 
trying to maximize every penny over the course of a period of time. You're, you're the Walmart of home flipping. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I'm not even on but it, it, it really is because what happens is as I grow in scale, my costs come down. So now when the deals that I keep, so let's say the deal that I would keep personally that I might be, that may be 70% all in for you, that deal is like 48% for me because all that money that I saved, I, I just wouldn't pay, I wouldn't spend $150,000 on lumber. Right. So my lumber costs are significantly less than yours. So when I'm doing my calculations for all my shingles and lumber and drywall, it's, it's less and less and less and less and less every time, every single time. So I'm so my deals are like super good. So I can pay them off very, very, very quickly. Does that make sense? Yeah. And that, that helps me. It also gives me cachet with subcontractors. I'm giving them a significant amount of work so I can stop them and say, stop what you're doing. Come over here and do this. And that's like that's totally worth that twelve thousand dollars that you gain. That's worth like forty thousand to me. How did you go about finding contractors? Because I know, like, I'm gonna—I'm sure you get that question all the time. But like, and as you know, right now in the investment community, yeah. it's a huge need, massive need, massive need. So, how did you go about finding those guys in the beginning? Trial and error, getting screwed over. Like, were you like looking <laughs> on Craigslist, going to Home Depot? Or uh, just, like, I was that—I was that jerk off that I hated that uh, would go to people's job sites and call the subs. <laughs> in the beginning, I won't, I'm not gonna lie. Cause I want to be honest. Like, I didn't—I didn't go to Home Depot, but I would like. I'd see a painting van, and I'd drive by a house and go, oh, look, Joe's painting. And I'd, like, take a screenshot of Joe's painting, and I'd call Joe later on. I mean, I wouldn't go into your house, but I would I would drive by where people were doing rehabs. Yeah. And I'd see the trucks or the vans, and I'd ask for a number or ask for a card, and I'd call them. And then I'd find out that that person was a subcontractor, was a subcontractor, was a subcontractor, you know. And then I ended up calling the guy actually doing the work. And that's just that's just trial and error. And I still have trouble with subs. I have subs that, are, that have multi-million dollar companies that still – are broke that still don't come on time that still do terrible work it's it's almost it's like it's a part of the game you can never really get out of it i have a couple of really good subs that, that we like keep you know busy but the the industry in construction is like fragmented dude i mean there's these guys and gals are just they're trained to like get paid on friday and be broke friday night oh like, seriously yeah. yeah yeah i mean i grew up in construction it's you're absolutely right yeah yeah and they make crazy money so the trades like they make more than college graduates and they're, they're broke some of these guys By monday yeah everybody's broke they're broke yeah. and it's like so I, some of these guys they're getting these guys are getting like 1500 a week cash you know and it's like that's a significant amount of money and you're broke every week it's like oh, i bought a motorcycle yeah like a motorcycle, like a boat, the club like, whatever yeah, it's like, like a million payments yeah <laughs> At twelve percent interest, yeah. it's like, dude, why did you do that? So yeah, but how I find sub, how I find subcontractors, um, trial and error, and then once you're also in networking, right? So once you start working with like really cool builders and you have other investors, right? So there's, there's also a uh, there's also a benefit from me working with you because we can basically have a meeting of the minds and like share techniques and help each other out. Yeah. So when I sell you that house for eighty eight thousand worth a hundred thousand, you're like, man, you did me a huge solid. Hey, do you have a super good electrician that you use? I have a terrible electrician, but I have an awesome carpenter. Appreciate that, right? That value is significantly more than that twelve grand. Right. People don't see it that way because they're trying. They're so worried about oh, I gotta get the maximum amount of money. It's like no, building a good relationship, finding a good subcontractor, having a good technique or a good lead is worth significantly more than what you pay out. Significantly more. So you're probably paying more than everybody else is too. Yeah. For labor for labor i pay more absolutely it's the only way because the good ones are so busy they can they can they can demand what they want so like a lot of these subcontractors the really really good ones are doing commercial and they're doing large multifamily developments so like they they do like we might hire a drywall guy and he'll come and hang your house in like five or six days or something crazy like that yeah these dudes come and like by, by lunchtime your house is done it, oh you know, yeah, yeah. The, so it's a whole different animal and that's that speed that allows me that's the difference between my rehabs that may take a full gut rehab of a 2,000 square foot house might take me eight weeks. 
and might take somebody else 17 weeks. Right. Right. So I can afford that opportunity because I can afford to pay significantly more for the labor to be done in that nine weeks faster than let's say that you were doing it. I mean, that makes sense. Are you yeah. managing all this yourself then? Yeah. Well, I have two project, man. I have two full-time project managers on payroll. Um, then I have like two general laborers on payroll. Okay. And is that your whole, that's your whole staff? That's the whole staff. And then one, so one like kind of find all the, assistance. Okay. Yeah. But no, I do. I look, so I do almost everything. <laughs> so Dang. I find that the, my project managers do a little bit of bird dogging for me too. So I'm not going to take credit from them. Like they'll, they're the ones in the neighborhoods all day. So they're the ones who go door to door. Like when they're working, people walk by and go, Oh, y'all bought this house. We've been trying to do this forever. And then someone say, Oh, my cousin's house is for sale across the street. You want to meet them? And they'll give them a card and they'll meet with them. And then they'll call me and say, Hey, here's the house. Here's a picture of a it. Deal. Got a deal. And I go, well, tell me about it. You know, and they know the criteria I want. And I'll go, yeah, it's a good deal. So then um, are you trying to – so you said you're all about systems. Yeah. So then now what's your next step? Are you trying to get us so you're doing less mm-hmm. or are you fine with what you're doing? No. the vo- So I'm trying to get – I'm trying to be able to – my goal for 2020 is to do 40 houses, like what I call semi, our perfect standard, right? So nothing longer than 10 weeks, nothing more no, – no more than 5% contingency budget on any property. That's my goal. So if I can do – if I can replicate that four times, I've hit my goal for the year. Okay. So you're, but what I mean is like long-term business wise, like, Oh uh, yeah. Are you trying to get out of it or are you trying to continue to stay doing everything? Great question. You know, like, do you want the business to work for you? You're trying to work for it. I don't really, I'm out. I, so it's a lot of assistant based. So you see me sitting here in Chaco's now in your studio. Like I don't, I'm not like, I'm not like swinging the hammer yeah, on top yeah. of the roof and I'm not like pulling 150 hour weeks either. Like right now, right now there's rehabs that are happening right now while we're sitting here. Uh, but like, it's a good question. I'm trying to move over into a little bit of commercial stuff and a little bit larger multifamily just because you, you start looking at it and go, okay, really, I'm spending a lot of time and energy on these deals are spread out. I want to consolidate if I can. But the problem is when you're consolidating into a multifamily project, a commercial project, then the regulatory requirements increase. The capital requirements increase. Your speed goes down. So I'm more of a like speed guy than I am like slowing but your profit down. margins. The profit margins, yeah, they go up. But yeah. I, but the, some of these deals that I do, they're really profitable, like a spec build. So spec builds that we're doing live oak now, I'm all in like 58, 60% on these deals. So I will spec build till I'm dead because <laughs> they're just really, I mean, and that's where the cost of lumber where it is now. So before, like a year ago, 52, 53%. Builders won't tell you that, but there's a good little like hint. Yeah. If you're doing it yourself, if you're doing it for somebody else, then no, you'll be at 75 or 80. But if you're doing it for me in-house, way less. So there, a spec build is super profitable, like highly, highly profitable. And there's, you know, there's a lot of the land in the neighborhoods that I'm in where I'm finding these houses that, that can be condemned that we can just, we can, it's, it's cheaper for us to tear it down than it's for us to rebuild it. And we can build a brand new house, full 210 warranty, new electrical HVAC, you know, make it, make it perfect. And people love those and they, they sell relatively quickly. Are you doing a lot of marketing to find deals? Nope. I don't, I don't spend a dollar on marketing. What? <laughs> what? I, I was talking to somebody the other day about this, and they were like, their mind was blown. I just don't. <laughs> like, what do you do? Like, you're just networking? And yeah, just... I don't. It's not even networking. It's literally like I'll be in a neighborhood, and like when you're working on a house, like like I said, a neighbor will come over and go, "Oh, hey, my like my cousin has a house over here. Do you want it?" Like, it's almost like I'm like, "Yeah, cool. Let me look at it." And maybe it's a good house, maybe it's not. But it just keeps happening. Keeps happening like over and over time. again. I also. um I have agents that send me like leads and like some pocket deals or whatever, but most of them don't work out actually. Really? Yeah, they're just a lot of them. A lot of these agents want to get feelers for what an investor will pay, and they'll just like lie. And then you're that's, like, "That's yeah, a terrible like, that's deal." A terrible deal, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and then I work again. Maybe thirty percent of my stuff is MLS stuff that people would pass over because they can't do it and they don't know how to do it. 
so I hear all the time, oh man, nothing on the MLS. Blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, the 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 you know the cosmetic artsy deal, yeah, that went very very quickly. It did because anyone can do that. But right. I can point to you right now three deals in the MLS that I can do right now that are that are very very profitable if you have the ability to make the deal work. So when I say ability, it's not just financing, but if you have the construction background and the knowledge, the real estate knowledge to be able to make the most money out of this deal, because everybody kind of learns one way to do this. That's all they do. Just like you said, you talk about this building that we're in right now, right? This guy bought this building for whatever he bought, paid for it, and he's he's now done it per room, and he's making a killer on cash flow. And that's not like a technique that most people would use, but he's figured out his little niche. He might have four other niches that work that are very profitable for him that you wouldn't see. So like the I've already seen the companies up for sale. There's in this in this apart in this complex, you got three or four of them for sale for fifty five grand. What's to stop you right now from from buying one of them and doing the same thing that he did? I mean, yeah, nothing. Nothing. That's money. What, yeah, money. Yeah, money. Yeah. But you can get the money, dude. That, that's the thing. So, like, if you're good at what you're doing, the money will come. Absolutely. I'm a full believer that. I did not have, like, I did not come up with, like, millions of dollars my parents, and I didn't have any crazy inheritance. Like, this is just, like, if you can freaking do it, money will come to you all day long if you have the skill. And it's the reps thing. If you put the reps in and you're, like, you actually have the experience and the skill, you can attract the money. What kind of educational resources do you use to kind of get better at your craft? Is there anything? Man, that's uh, I feel like you're listening like a jerk. Yeah. No, podcasts are kind of annoying because people just talk and talk and talk, and they're not really saying much. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you're not really getting a lot of nuggets. Yeah, educational resources. I mean, I read. Um, I read. I read a little bit of bigger pockets, not a lot, because it's just kind of like basic. You know, yeah. th- these these are macro trends that don't really affect Savannah at all. You know, I, I do a lot. I read a lot of like um, what developers are doing. So like I, the NPC stuff, like the stuff that when, when a developers coming in Savannah or people that are doing actual development, I see what areas are there and how much they're spending. I look at the permits and see how much they're, how much they're spending and how fast they're doing it. That's my analysis. I'm looking at the actual granular data that we're like that, that applies to Savannah. I'm watching Zillow. I have you know some maps on Zillow where I go how much is going for, how much is it selling for, how much is it trading out like that's that's what i use but they're constantly looking at zillow looking at looking at zillow i get a little report that i have that tells me you know here's how the the houses that sold and here's how much they sold for what they closed at i get i just do like it's a basic like uh what do you call it a uh a um uh, the little report they do cma compared to market analysis i get a cma on all this stuff and look at it and go got it you know so if i have a house that comes up for this number i buy it i don't think about it so you're not like you're not like following gurus or like listening to gurus, no man. <laughs> because a guru is somebody who figured out a niche and yeah. they're trying to sell you something. <laughs> like, and I'm not anti-guru. There's something that can be learned from these guys and gals. But like, I'm a firm believer of like finding your path and doing it because like the way these gurus think and the way the training that they have and the experience they have, the personality they have, it's completely different than yours or mine. So like, if you're looking at Gary Vee or Grant Cardone or any of these dudes, like. You're probably not Gary Vee, just just to be honest. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So like, yeah. you're you're not New York City. You're not. This is not. You're not a professional marketer. You're just an accountant from Wichita. So you can't be Gary Vee. Right. Like Gary Vee has some cool like you know anecdotes that you can like listen to, but like you're not going to be Gary Vee. So like you need to figure out like what are you good at? What are your skills? And how can you pair with somebody who complements your skills well? And let's say in real estate, that's how you do well. Don't you can't be Grant Cardone. You're not going to do apartment syndications. It's incredibly competitive. It's a lot of money in there. You're probably going to fail at that. Don't do that. 
And a lot of those guys come with a bunch of money. They do, exactly. They don't come from nothing. They don't. When they tell you you can do it for nothing, could you do it for nothing? Probably. Yeah. But are you going to do it for nothing? No, no way. And Grant Cardone made a lot of money doing motivational speaking. For years. For years like and years. 30 years before oh. he started in real estate. He did a lot of motivational speaking, a lot of classes, made a ton of money, and then got into real estate. And I'm not, and I'm not saying you need a ton of money, but like to do what he's doing, absolutely. He was not some like, he wasn't sleeping the floors last week and all of a sudden he's apartment syndicator. Like, no, it took years and years and years to get to it. So if somebody was starting out in real estate, like right now, what would you suggest that they do? Uh, watch the market. I would say um, the biggest thing that people do, every like I said, people want to skip the hard parts. Everybody wants to find a bot or a algorithm uh, to skip the hard work. So like if you're trying to get into real estate and you want to be successful, everybody that I, a lot of people that I've met are actually very hard workers. There are some people that you meet, yeah, silver spoon in their mouth. Daddy gave everything to them. They don't know anything. They're they're not intelligent. But a lot of the real estate people, especially people you have on this podcast, are people who have basically learned and put the lumps in and made the, done the hard work to get where they are, and that's the key. So, like right now, if everything that I had was destroyed, I could probably do it all again about a third of the time, very easily, because I've I know I've like every time I like I kind of scale up, I go, man. Here's how I can get 10 times better than that. So I have like no attachment to any of these properties. I'm like, they can all be gone tomorrow and I can literally do it again even faster now. That's the that's the mindset that it takes from getting reps. So if you've been like pumping that weight all the time, like it's not a big deal. Like if they add a little bit more, it's not a big deal. And you look on the the bar and you go, holy crap, I got like three plates on there. I'm killing it. So, <laughs> but it, but if you if you've like tried to take the secret creatine steroid powder, i.e. like somebody else's calculator, and then all of a sudden that powder wears off, the calculator doesn't work anymore, you're actually weak. You never had you never had strength to begin with. That's a that's a huge thing that I see people do. They skip all that. I like that a lot. So like yeah. if you follow like the shortcut method, yeah, that's when you have like the fear all the time of like You're worried about it. Yeah. It's like, no, I've done this a bunch of times. I know what's going on. I know my numbers are solid. I know this deal is good. I know what I'm what I'm gonna do. But as far as advice to a new investor, like you day one right now, if I started over day one, but without any knowledge that I have now, I would tell myself, Hey dude, you need to watch, you need to watch, you need to find a decent agent if you can, which is hard to find. Not not that many of them uh, who will work with a any, newbie. Do you have anybody you want to shout out? I do have great agents. So the great agent that recommended <laughs> this is Chelsea Phillips with Six Bricks Realty. Thanks Chelsea for this recommendation. Uh, but Really, the bigger agents though are, are busy, right? So they they don't have time to mess with the you know new investor who's trying to buy a thirty thousand dollar house in you know uh, West Savannah. They you know they just unfortunately that's just not a good use of their time. So, but what I say is I would I literally watch the market to actually learn what stuff is buying or selling for. Like actually learn how to properly calculate ARV in your market. Not read an article about it on on Bigger Pockets. Draw a map in Zillow around a neighborhood. Spend three weeks watching what buys and sells and what it looks like. Just just do that. So you can actually know what an AR what the ARV will be of a property with reflexively. So that's step one. If you can reflexively tell me what you're gonna get per square foot and be correct within the bedroom and bathroom and the type of house it is, you're now ready for part two, which is figure out rehab costs. That's number two. If you got the rehab costs down, then you can wholesale a deal or you can even buy a deal. And I would say probably buy a deal. I wouldn't even wholesale it first. If you reflexively can tell me what ARV is and you have a pretty decent ballpark on repairs, I'd say you're ready for a deal. <laughs> Get, Rock and roll. Fi find, find yourself $20,000 beg, borrow, deal, side hustle, whatever, and do a little $120,000 deal. There's plenty of deals over in Camp Park where I'm at now. Oh, I love Camp Park. Camp Park, Park is, the, is the killer. I got a duplex that is finished over there, uh, 48th Street. It went on the market Wednesday. for I, was, I rent them and then I sell them. It went on the market Wednesday, uh, six applications, fully rented out in two days. 
I'm gonna list it for like two forty nine nine, right next to the food truck park. Oh, where the new food truck park? Yeah, right there, three points. Yeah, yeah, super nice, and it's it's, it's a killer neighborhood. Anyway, I got the house for like sixty grand, put like uh, eighty five ninety into it, and uh, can sell for two forty nine. And it took like five or six weeks to do it. You know, that was the first one we ever did was in Camp Park on Amaranth Street. Yeah, uh, yeah, eight twenty three Amaranth. Nice. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, we bought that one for forty. Okay. Twenty into it. Yep. Working nights and weekends took five weeks. Totally. Sold it for a hundred. That's what I'm talking about. Camp Park is killer. It's now killer. everybody's gonna go. But you gotta know what you're doing. Yeah. There's a couple <laughs> guys over there that they're at Camp Park is kinda coming up because you can look at the proximity right over to to Montgomery is it's like a stone's throw away. Seriously, Scad's right there. Scad's and, right there. Like, the food truck park's there. No, it's it's a good setup. I think Camp Park is good. But anyway, my point is like and those deals don't cost that much, right? So if you were to use a lender for that deal, a deal where you're all in, let's say, seventy five grand or whatever. That's ten grand down. Yeah. Like we waste ten grand all the time. It sounds like a lot of money. We we spend ten grand on malarkey. Add <laughs> up your three worst habits, and those equal ten grand a year. Your three worst habits is ten grand a year. <laughs> so you can take that ten grand a year that you're going to put in the stock market and get three point eight percent, or you could actually, or you know, or you could actually buy a re- buy a rental or buy a rehab and, and double your money very easily. And with that, I mean, that's 40,000 profit. Well, I mean, you know, after you pay your realtor and stuff, yeah. maybe you walk away 30, with 25, 30. 30. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but that's more than enough. You could do three more now. Three more, exactly. Like, and that's all it is. So people go, how do you possibly do that? It's like, I don't know. Just <laughs> mathematics. The math. If you're really making money, you just continue to scale up. A lot of things that people, what happens is like, they kind of get comfortable. So for me, I'm like anti-comfortable. So I'm like, I have to figure out a way to get uncomfortable right now. So when I started feeling like I'm like in a groove, I go, this is not, I'm like complacent. <laughs> so I find something to make this twice as hard as it needs to be, which is my wife like absolutely hates that. I was just going to, you know, that's funny. <laughs> that kind of segues into like yeah. the next, which is like, so you, you ha- like, I imagine you're putting in at least for a while, putting in pretty, yeah. pretty much. Back hours. in the day I was putting in 85 hours. And you were married that whole time. Married the whole time. Yeah. So like work-life balance. How are yeah. you figuring that? Do you have kids? We have, yeah, we have, we didn't have a kid then though. We had oh, a kid okay. after, Okay, uh, but yeah, I have, I have a 20-month-old son. Okay. Awesome. Super awesome. But we didn't have kids. So we had a conversation. My wife is super awesome because she's the perfect complement to me. So she's literally almost the opposite in every measurable way, which is, which is great. <laughs> yeah. So the conversation was like, hey, sweetie, you know, we see friends, family around us that basically finances are like one of the biggest reasons for divorce in their families, right? Like a lot of people just money is a taboo subject. And uh, they don't want to talk about it. And then people just live beyond their means and credit card debt and all the stuff that comes out of that. So we were like, you know what? We don't want that life. So we're going to have to do some things that are uh, non-traditional to have a non-traditional life. What's the Dave Ramsey saying? Live like no one else now so you can live like no one else later. Dave Ramsey. <laughs> Love, hate relationship with that guy. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's complicated when you're a real estate investor. Yeah, you're like, yeah. Uh, yeah, he's, he's my got... business interests don't really agree with yeah. you. But like... Uh, yeah, most Americans could benefit from what you're saying. He could, yeah, he's yeah. got some good stuff and some hogwash stuff at the same time. Yeah. I don't know how he does it. but yeah. uh, Sorry, anyway, getting off getting off subject. Yeah, so my wife is super awesome, and we had a conversation that was like, listen, we're willing to put the hard work in now so we don't have to later. That was our that was the conversation. I was like, hey, I'm going to go out and like try and you know do these investments and like make a certain amount of money so we can have passive income and cash flow coming in to where we don't have to work that hard in the future. It's going to look different. It's going to be different than what our friends are doing. It's going to be different than what our parents did, but like it's going to work out. And it did. And you never had any doubt. Uh, no, I didn't have any doubt. You just knew. <laughs> I mean, it's like, <laughs> it's like I, I see it A to Z. It's not, it wasn't that hard. They, it's funny. The amount of money people actually need is crazy. Like we live off of, like, we only need like not even three grand because we, so here's why we have no, I have no mortgage, no car payments, we have no debt. 
Yeah, but you started with a mortgage. I, I did. Yeah, no, no. Yeah. The, no, the house that I bought. So I was so again. This is why I don't believe in the self-made concept because my uh, when we moved to Savannah, we had no place to live, and we moved into my grandma. My grandma passed away several years ago, and her house was vacant. So our we were a family that's fortunate allowed us to live there rent free. We paid no rent. So that was 2017. We moved in here. So we paid no rent for like a year and a half. Saved our money. Does that make sense? Yeah. And then I bought then the the house that we live in now. I bought it in cash, rehabbed it myself, and we have no mortgage. So I have no mortgage. I have no car. We pay for our cars in cash. So we have very little. We have no need for like capital. Like literally right. just Netflix and and grocery and gas and insurance and stuff. Like that's all we pay. Right. And we have a we have a very comfortable life with very little capital outlay. So also all the money that I make in real estate, I literally reinvest like ninety eight percent of it. Like we do, we give, we tithe, and the rest of it is like gone. So like I don't actually like keep any money. Do you so you like literally tied like ten percent of everything you make? More. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> like even in the business. Not just what you take home or Yeah, like, before off the top. Before. Wow, yeah, really? it's hard. Yeah, it's hard though, because what what kills me is like taxes. So I'll be like <laughs> so for a while I'm like, oh man, how do I like cause I'm I still need help. If you know any any tax professionals that are like high speed in Savannah, I actually need some recommendations. Just because like some of the accountants that we have are good, but they're not really like when you start getting into larger amounts of money, um, it's hard to find people who are like skilled. Everybody kind of does things like the vanilla, what I call like the vanilla way of doing it, like very basic. But there's some cool strategies and tax implementation that we're looking to uh, implement, but we need people who are comfortable with it. A lot of CPAs are very much like, this is the only way we do it. We don't do it any other way. Yeah. So that's a whole tangent. But anyway, um, yeah, more than 10%. That's we do, crazy. Yeah, we do a lot of, a lot of charitable giving. Um, and it's great, man, because the reality is it's like that's the thing. So when you make all this, I ask people all the time. So when people go, the question would be, what would you tell your future? What would you tell your past self what you do? I'd say, well, if I gave you $10 million today, what would you do tomorrow? That's the question I ask them. And you know the answer I get? Uh, no clue. <laughs> yeah, no clue. No, yeah. <laughs> Everybody plays the lottery, but nobody has any idea what they would do if they would win. Correct. Actually, probably they would do all the wrong things the, if they won. The wrong things. That's why all those guys and guys go broke after they win the lottery. Yeah, nobody's rich by accident. Correct. No, like, and Ed Milet, I don't know if you follow him at all, but he says, uh, uh, I know a lot more people that used to be rich and currently are. It's, yeah. it's easy to lose, bro. You, Everybody thinks once you have the money, you're set forever. You're not. It's not like that. But my argument is like, it's you got to have a why. So like the reason is like, man, if you're, you're people get in real estate because they're tired of their nine to five job because they picked the wrong nine to five job. Like yeah. there are some people that work a nine to five job that absolutely love it. I know that's not in vogue now because it's cool to like be an entrepreneur and never work, but there are plenty of people that have like full time careers that they enjoy them. They love them. Yeah, they yeah. love them. But so I think the, the the impetus for you to get in real estate or make a lot of money is has got to be a means to an end. So like, what is your end? What are you doing? So like, making millions of dollars. Congratulations, you had millions of dollars. Now what do you do? And people find themselves into that space. And they generally, a lot of people wake up and go, yeah, I just pursued money my entire life and that's all I've done and all I care about is money. Now I'm like a miser. Like, that sucks. Yeah. Like, yeah, like all I want to do, I just penny pinch and I'm a multimillionaire. All I care about is dollars. There's more to it than that, man. So uh, that's what I'd say is that you have to have a why. Like, you know, family is great, like working for your family. and But that's like, there's only so much that you can do. Like, you don't need millions of dollars for your family, you know? So, yeah. So there's got to be the Forrest more. Gump claim. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I can't remember the line, but essentially there's only so much money a person needs. There's only so much money. Yeah. And I'm a full proponent of that. So I'm like, I get the Forrest Gump thing where it's a cut in the grass. He's a multi-millionaire. Yeah. I, I'm, in, I'm in that vibe. I'm not with the like, I don't do the f fancy cars. Or the, You're not looking for mansions and No, Ferraris man. And... What's the, what, I mean, what are you going to do with that? Like, I, 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 we were watching a funny video last night of like, 
like you watch these brand new car like reveal videos like the new mercedes g-class suv or whatever and it's like then you see like a, a 1985 g-class you're like that looks like crap like it's going to depreciate and it's going to look like crap in two years so yeah. all those super nice leather seats like that's not going to be it's it's not going to look good later on there was as at one point it was nice now it's not and i'm not anti-luxury either i think luxury is great but well plus plus what you see on social media is not really Act, like no, true like a lot of those guys are not going to have that money forever They're and if not. you read like have you ever read the millionaire next door i have not okay so it's like statistical what millionaires do to stay millionaires or be millionaires yeah and one of them is like you're way more millionaires are way more statistically likely to drive cars that are five to ten years old that's it like they I, buy reliable five-year-old cars yeah. drive them for five years <laughs> and then buy another car that's five years that's old. exactly what we do and I, I fully buy that i'm not anti that so if you have a porsche or a bentley or a mercedes like that's super cool yeah and nothing against that but like the reality is half those guys are like leasing them so like, ha- like if you actually want those instagram famous people it's like you don't even own that car like that you've, you've leased it or it's like a rental or whatever you're, just, you're flexing for no reason yeah the reality is is that you don't have good habits these habits will actually lose you money so if you work this hard to make it don't don't develop habits that will lose it or cause you to have this lifestyle that's so huge that you have to work have this massive business to support it and that's been my thing so i've been very lean because i don't want to need this huge behemoth of infrastructure to support my lifestyle that's kind of like ridiculous how much of your success then do you attribute to that generosity yeah like do you think that you know like i um obviously the bible talks a lot about giving and getting yeah and, and but also uh robert kiyosaki Rashad Porter, i'm sure a lot yeah, of people listening read, have read that yeah, right read that, yeah which is the Poor people think you have to get money to give money. Rich people know you have to give money to get money. Absolutely. So how much of that do you feel like plays into... A massive portion, I think. You I, think if you hadn't been tithing that 10% or plus that you would have... Yeah, no, it's not even... That's, that's actually... That's, that's a whole other two-hour podcast that we can have. <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, I, I, think, I, think that's a, I think that's a significant part of my success because, again, I don't believe opportunity comes from nowhere. So, like, like I said, the, the whole self-made... I call it the self-made fallacy. Like, if you think that everything that's happened to you that's good or bad you have something to do with, I think you're you're missing something. So for me, short version of the story, yes. I think that uh, be, doing the things that I'm doing, trying to be faithful in what, in what I've been given, like that absolutely breeds more opportunity. That's my personal belief. Okay. Yeah, I, 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 I thousand percent agree with that. Cool. I would say like there's been periods in my life or seasons in my life yeah. where – I don't give as much, mm-hmm. and I don't get as much. Yeah, like straight up, and it, you can see the direct correlation. Yeah, it's not always instant. Sometimes there's a little bit of a delay there. Mm-hmm. But in the and in the seasons where you give more, you always get more. Yeah, and also again, is that why? So I mean, I I actually get more joy now helping others than myself because my needs are met. So like, you look at all those studies that show once you make like seventy five grand a year, there's no correlation between happiness between seventy five and two fifty. There's always cool studies that you can cite that show like. There, you're not any more happy with the more money you make. There's right. a certain amount where, like, once your basic needs are met and you have a certain amount of discretionary income, then it's like you can't get happier based on your, your financial situation. It's, like, not possible to be happier. Right. So after you hit that threshold, whatever that is, it's like, what else you, what else you, why are you doing what you're doing? So helping someone out and giving them something they couldn't get on their own is, like, a way bigger joy than making ten grand or $50,000. So, like, long-term, do you have any, like, goals in that area of your life as far as, like, charities? Or I like, do. Like, do you want to start a foundation? We are. Really? Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we are. And one of the cool things we're going to partner with, uh, one of the organizations we're first going to partner with, uh, it's called Thrive. It's a women's shelter here. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, one of one of, the, one of my, uh, I do a couple of historic rehab properties a year to offset my taxes. And uh, one of them are, uh, what's up? No, nothing. I don't uh, know. It's just funny. Uh, okay. like, rich, pe- rich people problem. <laughs> I'm, I'm not. Don't, don't come visit I'm just me. Yeah. But yeah. So like, yeah, but another thing, historic tax credit, super awesome, uh, super awesome uh, uh, niche to get into. Um, 
Yeah, so I have a property that basically has frozen taxes for five years, um, and uh, it'll have very little, very low uh, mortgage payments. So like this property has like less than it's worth, let's say five hundred thousand bucks, and I have like one hundred thirty thousand dollars in debt, very very little. So now I can say, okay, well, cool, I can cash for like a like a like a bandit on this house, or I can say, you know what, let me find an organization that needs a home and try and like get them to stay there for close to nothing. So we work with Thrive. And we're going to probably, that's probably going to be the Thrive Inn. It's probably going to be one of their houses where they basically have mothers that come in that are basically, you know, either kicked out of their homes or some rough situation. They can stay there. And it's got like six bedrooms and two kitchens and all that kind of stuff. And they'll basically live there for a transitional period of time. And I, didn't, I found out that there's a huge need for that in Savannah. So listeners, like if you have properties, there's a huge need for people transitional housing. So like get into that. That's awesome. Yeah, super cool. So do you plan on then like, like, scaling that or you're gonna have to try to have like a bunch of transitional houses or just like let's just see how it goes see how it goes yeah i haven't tried it yet it's also hard to make the finances work because i think they have a lot of these places are have like foundations and they have like boards so you have to kind of like it's a it's a long strenuous process of like okay you're meeting with the board pitching the idea talking about the dollars and cents getting something written up it's, it's a lot of work but it's gonna be worth it so we're just doing this now so hopefully by like summertime we have it all worked out to where they move in and that'll be their house uh, which will be super cool. And then I'll say, okay, can this be replicatable? How can I, so my, just like I do with other things, kind of replicate this again. How do I do more? How do I figure out a way to make this faster? Who else can I help? So if I follow up with you in two years, you yeah. could be doing real estate or you might be running a charity. <laughs> it's like a 50, 50 shire. Or maybe going to medical school. You know, yeah, that's or going still, back that's to still my desire, but I've been saying I'm going back for like two years now. And it's just like every year I'm like, this is my last year of real estate. And it's not. So do you, you love it then? <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I don't love it. Uh, to be completely honest with you, I don't love, I actually, my desire is definitely like medicine. Like it absolutely is. Um, but I just think it's very obvious, like where I am right now, like this is what I'm supposed to be doing, if that makes sense. So I'm just really like focused on it and like, it's not, you know, there's no reason for me to stop what I'm doing. Like I have the opportunities here, the infrastructure's here, the people are here. Let me like, let me, let me run this bad boy as much as I can and see what happens. And let's see what happens in terms of like, Hey, what kind of philanthropic pursuits can we come from this? Who can we help? What kind of cool things can I do that actually has lasting impact and not like totally self-serving impact? That seems like a great note to end on. Thanks so much for coming on, man. No, I appreciate it, man. Yeah, take it easy. <laughs> Thanks a lot. <laughs> All right, see ya.